0: Well, good morning this morning we're going to beginning a, a new section of luke one in which jesus kind of uh, deals with the cynics who are setting out to trap him this is a section that's uh often uh, called the apologetics section now apologetics isn't telling somebody you're sorry for something Apologetics is the name given to the arguments that believers use to to persuade and convince and lay out the gospel before others. this section, Jesus gives us uh, some example, gives us some teaching that I think is vital to our lives and to our testimony. In, In this section, Jesus exposes the hearts of man, exposes our hearts, hearts of the world. He uh, kind of peels back the disguise to show how self-serving and shallow our thinking can really become. I want to show you a cartoon that Brian Grant was circulating around staff this last week. Any of you who've ever had a dog will appreciate this. Why dogs rarely survive shipwrecks. All those in favor of eating all the food now, raise your hand. (laughs) If you've ever had a dog, you uh, (laughs) know the reality of that. Yet how uh, like dogs we can be. I became a Christian just shortly before going to college. I had been out of the country studying in in Israel. Came back into the country uh, just a couple weeks before school started. I had been accepted as a freshman at University of California, Santa Barbara. Had no idea really where Santa Barbara was other than that it was south of where I was. So I got in a car, headed south, eventually found my way to, to Santa Barbara, followed the street signs to UCSB, drove up to the housing office and asked if they had a place to stay. They looked at me in amazement, astounded that I would show up without already having a place to stay. But uh, fortunately there was room on one floor in one dorm, but they still had, had space. I didn't realize this, but this was the reject floor this is the floor where they stuck all the people who'd been kicked out of other dorms or who were on probation or were in some other way in trouble. This was a motley crew. Uh, one of the guys there, a guy by the name of uh, Marty, he uh, was a 22 year old junior, he had just uh, returned from two years off dealing blackjack in Las Vegas. We call Marty Crazy Marty because he was nuts. He was absolutely fearless he did whatever came into his head one day marty uh, took the fire extinguisher off the wall and was just having fun squirting anybody who happened to be coming down the hall and one student who uh, didn't want to be squirted threatened him that if uh, he squirted him he was going to go tell the resident assistant in charge of the dorm well marty hosed him off with extra care and more thoroughly than the rest and chased him off the floor and, Two minutes later, uh, somebody shouted warning that the RA was on their way up the stairs. So Marty was trapped. But like a rat who is cornered, Marty did not give up. Marty attacked. He pulled the fire hose off the wall, turned at full blast. When the RA came through the door, blew him back through the door and down the stairs. Well, needless to say, Marty needed a new place to live. So he went off campus, found an apartment in Isla Vista, and talked to... Uh, Uh, four of us other misfits into moving off campus with him one of these other guys is a guy by name of john ellington we called him duke for duke ellington and duke was one of the strangest guys i've ever known duke had one blue eye one brown eye he was the only guy i knew who was a college senior who was completely bald already on top just had a little bit of hair around the edges And then there was Kevin. We called him Hot Wheels because he was so full of energy, such a fast runner. And then the uh, fifth roommate, guy that I actually shared a room with, that was Gary Brown. And then there was me. They called me Magic for Magic Christian because I was the only uh, believer among them. these guys were my mission field. I loved these guys. I enjoyed these guys thoroughly. Had many opportunities to to share the gospel with them. They, uh, they harassed me endlessly for being what they called a Bible slapper Because they accused me of early in the morning uh, hearing me turn the pages of my Bible uh, what they called slapping my Bible when I was uh, up having my quiet time before they got up But one by one I had opportunity to talk with each of them seriously About life, about their lives, and about the gospel and I think, at least to some degree, both uh, Duke and Hot Wheels responded, but Marty and Gary never did. One day, Marty came in to my room. He was drunk. His hand was bleeding. He just put his fist through his window, and he looked at me with uh, hatred in his eyes. And he said, "Your God is dead." And that was really the last time we talked of anything spiritual. Gary, on the other hand, Gary and I had had a lot of of opportunities to talk. One morning, Gary came in and asked me to explain the gospel again to him. So we sat and talked it through. And when I had finished explaining it to him, he uh, started to cry. And through his tears, he looked up at me and just with anguish, he said, I know it's true. Everything you say is true. But I just can't believe it. I just can't do it. See, Gary couldn't give up his lifestyle. He saw the choice, and he made his choice. From that point on, Gary began to withdraw more and more from me. We never had many more conversations about spiritual things. He began to build kind of uh, cases against me in his mind, push me away resent me, treat me with more resentment, and eventually to reject me because I stood for Jesus whom he had rejected. See, there's something about the human mind that has to justify the decisions that we've made. It has to find a reason to make it work. When we turn away from truth, that we eventually must either act crazy like Marty shutting off our our minds and living on a very shallow level or like Gary we begin to build cases in our mind to excuse and explain and justify the decisions that we've made Well, in our study of Luke what's just happened is Jesus has come into Jerusalem with the shouts and the cheers of all of the the populace of, of Jerusalem then he went to the temple And he expelled all the merchants there who were obscuring the the true meaning, the true purpose of the temple. So the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, the ruling body for Israel, realized that things were starting to get out of hand, that this Jesus was becoming unpredictable and dangerous. So they got together and tried to figure out what they were going to do about this. And they devised a plan. I'm sure their legal affairs committee had something to do with this plan, because what they did was they developed a question that they thought they could ask Jesus and really trap him. Well let's take a look. If you've got a Bible, turn to Luke twenty, starting with verse one. Luke twenty one. One day as he was teaching the people in the temple courts and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him. Tell us by what authority you're doing these things, they said. Who gave you this authority? He replied, I will also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men? They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he'll ask, why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us because they were persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, we don't know where it was from. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Okay, Jesus was in the, the, the outer courts, walking among the pillars there. <coughs> Excuse me. This was just a, a majestic colonnade of uh, these huge pillars, six foot in diameter, uh, 30, 35 feet tall, supporting a, a, a huge overhanging roof for shade and protection from the, the weather. Jesus was probably walking among these. This was common place where where people would gather to be taught or in groups they would walk among these uh, columns discussing kind of the the things of of spiritual interests or of national interests. And so a delegation of of chief priests and lawyers and elders approached Jesus there. Now these three groups, the chief priests, the lawyers, the the elders, were the, the three groups that made up the sanhedrin They're the three houses of the Sanhedrin, if you will, the, the people that were part of this ruling body. So this was an official delegation from the bosses. They were incensed that this mere carpenter from a puny little village, Nazareth, would be so presumptuous as to come into the temple precincts and drive out all of these merchants who were there by special charter from the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin had allowed them to be there. And so they demand from Jesus, "You know what authority are you doing this on? Who gave you the authority to do this? Now, that wasn't an honest question. They already had concluded in their mind that he had no authority to do this. And in fact, they were hoping to ensnare him, to somehow get him to lose face in front of the people. You know, if Jesus said, well, God gave me that authority... They would say, this guy's obviously deluded, delusions of grandeur, and people would understand when they had to remove this this madman. Or if he said, I do it on my own authority, well, they could accuse him of blasphemy, making himself equal with God, presuming to speak for God who owned the temple. They said uh, the Sanhedrin, because the Sanhedrin really was the body that had the authority to make those decisions, They would say, you're a liar. We're the Sanhedrin. We never gave you that authority. See, they they thought no matter what he said, they had him trapped. But the thing to notice is that this was not an honest question. They weren't really wondering if maybe somehow Jesus' actions were appropriate. They weren't Wondering if perhaps he did indeed have the authority to do what he had just done. They had already concluded that he didn't. All they were doing was looking for a justification for that conclusion. I uh, have no doubt. Had they come to him with an honest question. Really wondering who this man was that Jesus would have given them. A clear, straightforward answer. But Jesus never seems to, to, to explain things to those who are just playing games. He never seems compelled to, to try to help people who aren't genuine understand spiritual realities, to understand um, uh, kind of the mysteries of the kingdom. It isn't that he didn't like official types. When others came to him, like Nicodemus or Zacchaeus or or the centurion or Joseph of Arimathea, when when these people came as honest seekers with genuine questions, he gave them what they needed. But to the self-deceived, the pretenders, Jesus actually hid his meaning on purpose. And that's what he taught his disciples to do as well. In Matthew chapter 7, Verse 6, Jesus says, Do not give what is holy to dogs. Do not cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and tear you to pieces. So he's teaching his disciples that when people's hearts are already hard and already made up, giving them spiritual truth just infuriates them. They trample it underfoot. They don't appreciate it. And they turn on you and tear you to pieces. In responding this way, in in, in not giving answers to people who aren't honest, who aren't genuine, who maybe feel like they're giving real questions, but they aren't. Their hearts are already made up. In acting this way, in teaching his disciples to act this way, Jesus is being just like his Father. See, when we come to God with honest questions, with a sincere heart to know the truth, He engages us. He takes us through a process through which we come to understand those answers. But when we come to Him with our hearts already made up, He is strangely silent. Sadly, many people who don't know God's voice mistake that silence for agreement. Several years ago, I had a woman come to me who was struggling with whether to... Leave her husband for another man. She told me she was praying about it. She she, she told me that, that, that she had a real peace about it. It must be God's will. You see, God had already spoken. God said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Why was she even asking God? And why was God silent? Why didn't God shout in her ear? No, don't do this. Well, because... She wasn't really asking her heart was made up all she was doing was looking for reason for excuse to do what her heart had already made up to do another time a young man came to me and he told me he wanted to become a Christian but he needed God to show himself to him but God never did again God was silent why I found it very confusing so I realized through further conversation, this young man, all he really wanted was to be able to say, I tried, it just didn't work, and to go on with the life that he had already chosen for himself. By the time a college student came, said, how can we believe the Bible? And if you can't believe the Bible, how can you ever believe the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And if we can't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, how can we believe any of it? And these are good questions. These are great questions. These are the questions we should be asking. In fact, I've got several books in my library that the whole book is answering those questions in very great detail, very logical, clear answers. But fortunately, I'd been down that road enough times with college students that I just asked him. I said, "Listen, if I can give you logical." And reasonable answers to your questions are you willing to follow Jesus with all of your heart and all of your life and he didn't respond that ended the conversation you see we ourselves we ask God how can I love my wife she's so difficult to love or God do you really want me to lose my job over that one little honesty issue Or God, do you really want me to put my career in jeopardy just so that I have more time and energy to serve you, to minister to others? God, do you really think that sexual purity is even possible in this day and age? Am I supposed to get no rest at all in order to love my children? Or do you really want me to go to my brother who's sinning? I mean, it's none of my business anyway. See, these aren't honest questions. A heart that is set on disobedience will find a way. And when we come to God with our hearts already made up, whether we admit it to ourselves or not, when we come to God with a heart that's set not to trust Him, He is strangely silent. Is there an area, an issue... In your life where God seems to be silent well let me encourage you check your heart ask yourself am I willing to obey no matter what he says he'll give you an answer he will engage you if you're coming to him honestly back in Matthew 7 I quoted verse 6 verse 7 says Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Now Jesus uh, exposes these men's hearts by asking them a question. He asked them, you know, what about John the Baptist? Where did his authority come from? And immediately they see a trap in that question. They start talking among themselves. And they say, you know, if we uh, say it was from God, then Jesus is going to ask, why didn't we follow him? If uh, we say it's from men, that's politically incorrect. The people are going to turn on us. Notice they never once stop and say, what's the truth here? What is true? They, uh, uh, they don't seem to be interested in the truth. In fact, the only reason that question has a trap in it was because they were trying to hide the truth. These people had concluded that the truth doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is political expediency. See, in our day, people have concluded truth doesn't even exist. But the truth does exist, and the truth does matter. In their uh, response to Jesus, these guys use one of the oldest dodges ever invented. Uh, It's a dodge that children seem to learn almost at the time they learned to speak their answer to Jesus' question is I don't know now why did you hit your little brother I don't know why did you take that candy I don't know know, why weren't you home when you said you would be I don't know I mean it's it's a dodge we learn early and we learn well we somehow think it can get us out of virtually any situation I just I don't know But you see, all this is is an attempt to to stop the process of really looking at ourselves and at our hearts. See, this is a response we keep with us all of our lives. It's a dishonest, it's a coward's response. And it's a response that will send more people to hell than just about any other, will wreak more havoc on Christians' lives than just about any other. Is Jesus really God's Son? I don't know. Does God deserve my entire life? I don't know. And will that compromise the, the that you've embraced into your life and allowed to become part of your life. Will that really destroy you? I don't know. You see, we hope against hope that that will get us off the hook, but it doesn't. Our feigned ignorance no matter how genuine it feels and sometimes we're convinced no I just don't know I don't know it's really just an expression of our our refusal to be honest with ourselves with others and with God and it shuts off a process that would lead to our salvation the process of really looking honestly at who we are, of, of what's going on, of what's making us act this way, bringing it before God and saying, yes, this is who I am. And then finding that He waits there with His love and His grace to flood us with His love, to change us, to free us. You see, we say, I don't know, and we stop the process. Don't let that be your response. Be honest. Seek truth in your inner man. That was the response of, of these religious leaders. It revealed their hearts. So Jesus tells them a parable to further expose their hearts. Now, for time's sake, I don't want to read the whole parable. But let me tell you what it is. This landowner plants a vineyard. And then he goes away and he leaves the vineyard to sharecroppers. And when time comes for the harvest, he sends one of his servants to collect his fair portion of the, of, of the produce. But the, uh, the, the tenants, the sharecroppers, uh, abuse, beat up that, uh, me- that messenger, that servant, and, and refuse the owner's claim to his due. This happens several times. And every time that servant is abused and beat up and, and, and thrown out, Till finally, the owner sends his own son. The, uh, the tenants with, with selfish and cynical hatred kill the son. Now, that's, that's the story. Now the first thing to realize is that these people that he was talking to, these, uh, uh, these chief priests and the lawyers and the, the elders, most of them were landowners. Most of them had property that was worked by others. So they would have been very familiar with this process. Their livelihood depended on it. So they were outraged at the outlandish behavior of those tenants. But they were also outraged because they knew exactly what Jesus was getting at. See, in Isaiah 5, uh, God used the picture of a vineyard to, to, to talk about Israel and Israel's leaders. So Isaiah 5, 7 says, the, the vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel. See, these, these men who were intimately familiar with the Bible, they would have known exactly what Jesus was talking about, what He was implying. They would have known that they were the tenants, that God was the owner, that the, the servants that were sent were the prophets who were sent by God, the message for His rightful claim to their lives. They would have understand all of the, understood immediately all of the implications of this parable. The first thing to recognize here is that Jesus is giving them an enormous amount of truth in this story. Just because he refused to answer their question the way they asked it doesn't mean Jesus was, was stopping from making truth available to these guys. See, in this story, Jesus... Tells them, communicates the truth about God's generosity in giving them the vineyard, that it is God's vineyard. He tells them that God has a rightful and absolute claim on their lives. He, he communicates about God's grace in sending them the prophets, sending them uh, people to come with the message of truth, not leaving them without messengers. But I think the most startling thing that Jesus tells them here. Is that he is the Son the Son of God and that he knows he's going to be killed now in essence what Jesus is doing is answering the question they had asked where his authority comes from his authority by which he's done everything he's done comes from the owner of the universe the one who created them and all of Israel And His authority was not just as one of the servants, one of the prophets in the line of prophets. His authority was as the Son who came to make the love of the Father known, to give His life for their salvation. You see, He lays the truth out before them. Jesus answers their question, just not in the form that they were demanding. But do they hear it? Do they see it at all? Look at verse 19, the last verse in our section. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. But they were afraid of the people. See, they didn't hear any of the truth. All they heard was offense. They didn't see Jesus' love and trying to warn them. They didn't uh, stop and marvel at this truth that had been laid before them. They didn't stop from going down the path they were already on. Stop before they killed the Son of the Lord Almighty. They just raced all the faster down that path, hating Him, wanting to destroy Him. That is the primary teaching of this parable. It's always been that way. Always will be. We human beings want to be supreme. As a race, we have rejected God's claims on our lives. Either We've rejected it uh, either uh, religiously, like these guys, or irreligiously. We either do it through religion or without religion. But the the goal is the same. Rebellion against God. God in His generosity and His grace has sent prophets to warn, to call us back, to give us His Word so that we could see the truth and escape the the, 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 uh, confusion, the chaos, the destruction, the foolishness that we're pursuing. But rather than listen to the messengers, we close our ears and try to race faster down the path. We we resent their message and resent them. The prophets were always resented and persecuted. We, rather than listening to the word that that was written for us by the prophets, we close our eyes, try to get it over with quickly. So God, in His grace, sent His Son. And we gave full vent to the, to the malice of our hearts. And we killed him. Now people, this isn't just a story for back then. This is a story for us now. One of the first things that happens when we begin to, to protect sin in our hearts, in our lives. Is we begin to look at other believers differently. We begin to suspect them we begin to reinterpret their love as uh, as intrusion and as judgment and as as being intolerant we begin to build cases in our minds against them we resent anyone who loves us enough to tell us the truth whether that person is our wife or or a friend or or a growth group leader or an elder whatever we start that process of uh, uh, of building a case in our mind we end up resenting them if we don't stop and turn from that path we will find ourselves saying and doing things that we could never have imagined that we could possibly say or do as that course progresses as our hearts harden were Jesus himself physically in front of us today, we would find ourselves driving the nails into his hands. See, the dishonesty of our hearts is at its basic reality. It is hatred toward God. See, With this parable, Jesus rips the mask off of our feigned innocence and ignorance. Look at the last part of the parable verses 17 and 18 jesus looked directly at them and asked then what is the meaning of that which was written the stone which the builders rejected has become the capstone everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces but he on whom it falls will be crushed see these leaders cried out May that never be. That's not our hearts. That's not where we're coming from. But it was. Jesus takes them back to the Word. He quotes Psalm 118 here. He wants them to think. See, if they would only stop their hatred and think about what's driving, about what's making them resent Him who only loved them. If they would stop their pretense and self-deception and think And they would see that he is the capstone. He is the stone that the builders rejected, but whom God has has built everything around. Just a couple of years after this, Peter stood before this very same group of people, the Sanhedrin. And he said, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. You see, Jesus is the capstone. He is the linchpin that holds it all together. And there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. That's the the ultimate, the final message. Our hearts are deceitful. We practice deceiving others and end up deceiving ourselves. What Jesus is saying here is fall on that rock. Let Him break you. Let your resistance and your pride be broken. Let your self-deception be exposed. It hurts. It's hard. But it's the way of life and salvation. And be honest. Think deeply. Go deeper. Ask yourself, am I willing to obey Him no matter what He says? Am I willing to believe? Am I willing to trust Him with my whole life? Do I want truth or just excuses? That's a painful, hard process to engage with God honestly like that and really struggle with those questions with him and before him but he says if we will not fall on that rock be broken that rock will fall on us and we will be crushed you see there is a judgment there is an end in which the the secrets of man's heart, the secret of motives of man's heart, will be exposed. If we refuse to fall on that rock and be broken, we will be crushed. One final word about questions. See, it is important that we think about spiritual things deeply. Asking questions is part of that. It's it's an essential part of that. One time when Jesus had told a particularly difficult parable, his disciples came to him and said, What did that mean? We don't understand. Jesus looked at them, and I think with delight in his eyes, he said, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. See, the secret of the kingdom of God was to come to him and honestly ask. That was the secret coming to Him, talking with Him, thinking it through with Him. See, that's what the secret to understanding the kingdom of God. Asking Him honest questions, struggling with things we don't understand, trying to make sense out of things that make no sense to us, and coming back to God and saying, God, I just can't understand it. We engage with Him. And he takes us through a process, which He shows us the truth. It develops us. This is a vital part of faith and spiritual growth is that grappling with truth and grappling with God. It is not lack of faith to ask questions. In fact, I fear that we don't ask questions often because we lack faith. We're afraid that there is no answer or that He's not true or that He's not even there. and We go... On with those questions nagging the back of our minds keeping us from really giving ourselves wholeheartedly to him but he is true and he is there and he welcomes our honest questions and our deep struggle and think deeply think honestly think with integrity engage God That's what He wants. That's what He longs for. But also know the motive for your questions. Are you asking to neutralize your faith so that you can ignore His commands? Or are you asking? Because as His servant, the more you know, the better you can obey. And that's the vital issue. And you shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. Let's pray. Lord, how often I uh, struggle with you. I don't even know it's with you I struggle. It's as I uh, resent people who love me enough to tell me the truth. As I begin to be afraid of my brothers and sisters. Refuse to see them as your messengers. But instead somehow build a case against them. As I uh, uh, give in to the hardness of my heart and fail to recognize that it really is a hatred of you. My uh, refusal to be honest really is an unwillingness to trust you. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for brothers and sisters around me who love me enough to tell me the truth anyway, knowing that I may very well resent them. Lord, I pray that you would take your word that you'd open our eyes, that when we begin to find our hearts turning against each other, that we would recognize that it's our attempt to avoid looking at ourselves, that we would let your Spirit open us up. Lord, we are afraid to be broken. We know it hurts, but we know that it is, uh, it is your mercy that breaks us, that is it is your love that uh, takes us once we allow our resistance and our pride to be broken. And you rebuild us. You show us your love. I pray that we would pursue your truth. Pursue you. Engage with you on the truth. Lord, use your word here today to open our hearts to, to ourselves, to each other, and to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.